Welcome to the Spotlight Series from the Do More Good Podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, Do More. Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Spotlight Series celebrates the stars of the sector. We're taking 20 minutes to talk about whatever topic is on their mind. Head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight to find out more and book your own 15 minutes of fundraising fame. Here we are, James, back for another Spotlight episode of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm missing your 3D face. Oh, I know. It will not be long, will it? No, I hope not. I hope not. I'm out for drinks tonight. As oh, you know, yeah. as you oh, know, yeah. I'm out for drinks tonight. I'm going out with the South East London fundraisers. Yeah. Which long term listeners to the podcast will know have a bitter rivalry with the St Albans Mafia. And you gave us a nickname. You gave us our own nickname, which I don't think is quite as cool as a mafia. Yeah, what the the, the fundraising South London dweebs, is that what we the were calling? Dweebs. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's been it's been a good twenty years since I've been called a dweeb. So that was that was nice to hear that. It fits. If it fits. I've also got a terribly embarrassing story about the kind of crossover from real life and virtual, where I was talking to my neighbour the other day, and then the conversation came to an end, and I gave it the full Zoom wave as I said goodbye. <laughs> I was standing next to the guy, but gave it the full bye. Yeah, see you later. I mean, that is. I I was red faced about that one for a little while, just trying to get over that. Oh, well, look, I've got no embarrassing stories to, to tell you. I mean, I've had a pretty, pretty rubbish day with a bit of bank fraud experience today, but we'll not, not bore our listeners with the story because we've got a, a, another great guest with us this week, which I'm really looking forward to. So our guest messaged us through Twitter, I think, and, and we connect him with him that way. He's doing a lot of great work from his kind of lived experience, um, which I'm sure he'll tell us all about in a second. But let's welcome Shandy Green. Shandy, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Not too bad. Good. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. It's always good on the podcast where we always get people that come and say, look, I've got a, something I'm doing around the kind of social good spectrum. I've got a bit of a story to tell and we'd like to tell you more about it. Why don't you just give us an, a, the, the quick snapshot of your, your background and what you're doing in and around the social good space at the moment? Yeah. So um, when I was three years old, I was diagnosed with what I like to call Timmy the tumour. And it's a benign brain tumour that kind of defined who I was as a child and a young person. So I had to undergo surgery in October of 98. I think I've got the date right there. Um, and then again, three years later at the age of six, and I then developed like mental health di- uh, problems like OCD and anxiety due to complications in the surgery. And then I started fundraising for my hospital, which was Southampton General, doing like a walk from my hometown in Bournemouth to the hospital to raise money and doing various little fundraising activities to raise money for like DVD players on the hospital ward for the kids, creating like a little garden space so they could look out at something rather than sitting in the hospital room, bored out their mind. And then when I grew up and stuff, I was bullied quite a lot because of my diagnosis. On one occasion, I was given the nickname Tumor Boy, which sounds like an Avenger who didn't quite make the team. (laughs) And so (laughs) I started like having a lot of self-doubt and really trying to, understand who I was and so that led me to going to university and doing a degree in social work 
because I thought that was the best way for me to help other people to see beyond their diagnosis, beyond their disability or what they're going through. And while I was at university, Timmy struck back. He led me back into surgery for the third time. And that really threw my, my life off balance, really challenged who I was as a person because for 12 years, I kind of really understood that I was someone that was different, but not defined by my diagnosis. And then when I got to university and I got diagnosed, I was told not to go back because I'd failed my degree and just to give up and just to go back to living at home with my mum and sister. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to prove these people wrong. So I graduated with the, the lowest class degree you can get. So I just about scraped through. And while I was at university, I made a, a friend who was the volunteers coordinator for the students union. And he became like a big brother. And like weeks after the surgery, like maybe a month at most, we were like, right, we're going to do the London Marathon next year. Because we talked about it. And so he did it for Mind the Mental Health Charity. And I did it for Children with Cancer UK. And this was like, we did it for 2015, so the year after my surgery. I think I had my surgery in July, and in the April I was doing the marathon. Wow. And so that was, that was kind of like my release back into wanting to make difference, but through my lived experience. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated, I really struggled to find work because of my disability. And I was being honest and open with people, like, I really struggle sometimes. And especially in social work, it's quite a demanding profession. And so I used my experience to just reach out to people like I did to you guys, just saying, this is who I am. I'm probably got a lot of flaws and a lot of things I struggle with, but I just want to help make a difference. And I started working with Solent University to tell my story. And I didn't realize that there was kind of a career progression in this. And so they started offering me like more opportunities and then they started signposting me to other uh, universities other networks I could speak to people about my lived experience and it's led me to to social work students and just I, I just pull my heart out and say this is who I am although I have a disability and stuff it doesn't make me any less of a human being because we all have flaws and stuff and I'm not saying I'm perfect I'm far from it but I just want to help people and along the way it's led me to do some amazing things so like I started I became an ambassador for the brain tumor charity Mm-hmm. and telling my story through them and helping to to share their message of reducing the harm and the impact that brain tumors have on young people and adults and I was lucky enough to do the marathon again for the second time for the Lewis Moody Foundation which is the partner organization mm-hmm. and it led me to getting like lad bible at one point uni lad and stuff like this so it's been an amazing journey and it's I've not raised thousands of pounds but what I've learned is that if you can just help one person it makes more difference mm-hmm. then they can help one person and it starts a the waterfall of impact. Mm. That's a, a great story. And I'm, I'm going to flag here, I have loads of flaws. I bet I have loads more. And the bottom ranked degree as well, probably, don't you, James? I haven't even got the degree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, there you go. That, that, that must have been tough as a young kid to be going through surgery. That feels, that's a really formative time in your life. And, and surgery at that point must have been really tough. Yeah, I think when I was a, a, like a young person, like three, four, five, years old it was really hard and like not understanding why kids didn't want to touch me because they thought it was like an illness they could get which looking back I could understand something unknown and that impactful on their life they're not sure what it is and it really yeah. I, I just I lived by my diagnosis yeah. so I saw myself as my brain tumor as I like to say rather than as Chandy as an individual with a, a life that's beyond his diagnosis and 
um, that was that was the same in hospitals where I, w- I didn't have a voice because I was a child and I had my parents to look after me and to do what was in my best interest. But if I didn't have them, I would have just been another cog in the machine and another like case on the doctor's caseload. That's just another another day for them. It's not like they have to deal with you beyond what treatment they give you. And yeah, that was really hard as a child. And I guess it's still the same now. When I was a teenager having to go in for treatment and stuff, the doctors, they don't, they just see you as an illness. Not in every case. There are some really good doctors. Like I had one who, just before my last surgery, he was in the, the waiting room. He came in to go through the surgery, went through it like it was baking a cake, like it was the easiest thing on the planet. And I'm like, you're about to operate on my brain. And you sounded like we're just going for a walk. He said, do you have any questions? And I just, I said, am I going to die? And because of my anxiety and my OCD growing up as a child, I didn't want it to change my life to that extent. I didn't want it to end it before I had time to live. I went back to being a five-year-old kid, unsure of the world, unsure of what was going on. And he just said, I'm going to try my best. Hearing a doctor, I think that vulnerability in him Mm. reminded me that we're all human. We're not all robots. We're not programmed to just be perfect all the time. And he said, like, there are risks that, we have to be aware of but it's quite a simple surgery in the grand scheme of things and just that he said he was going to try his best made all the difference and reminded me that all that exposure to negativity and stereotyping with a child I can't change it but I can move on from it and I can build upon build upon it to create a new story for myself and Chandy before we were had a bit of a chat and obviously we've been exchanging messages over the the last couple of weeks but but you were saying you know that you're now getting out there and, and you're giving talks and you you're speaking about lived experiences and you're breaking down that those those barriers that there are across society for people who are living with a mental health disability. I guess I wondered the question really is is how do you find the reaction of audiences when you're maybe going into a corporation or maybe a, a group of students that have never had the chance to hear your lived experience or the experience of anyone in that situation? What is that? Can you describe what that's like? What's the normal response you get? It feels weird. Like I get really nervous. And then the second I start speaking and I just say, hi, I'm Chandy, all that anxiety goes away. And it's kind of like therapy for me because I don't work well under like therapy sessions as such and talking about my mental health to a professional. I just feel like I'm not being heard, not being understood. And I think being vulnerable on stage is, is an experience that I wish more people could feel because it just makes you you feel human for a moment and beyond Facebook, Instagram, social media, you feel like whatever you say doesn't have to be perfect. There are days where I give a talk and I absolutely fluff all my words and I just make no sense. But people come up to me afterwards and they're people who I don't expect to want to interact with me. The whole way through, I felt like they're not just listening, not listening. They're looking around and they come up and they say like, I've got a similar experience or I know someone who's been affected by mental health or by a brain tumour or through disability. And that makes me realise that maybe they're struggling as well and not to judge people because I think we have that automatic assumption. So it's an educational thing for me, but it's also just amazing. Like I gave a talk to some independent school up in London. So I think the oldest was maybe 11 or 12 and they were the most engaging group I've worked with. And they were asking me like questions that I would think were 
they wouldn't be interested in asking, but they were really like enthusiastic and wanted to know. And I've been to big organizations where they've been really reluctant to ask questions mm. in case they're going to offend me or going to say something that is going to hurt me. But the way I see it, like there's been days where I've been called tumor boy and stuff like that. And so I guess if I can deal with that, although it was hard and it took a while to overcome it, then I can overcome anything and no question is a silly question. And how have the last six months been? I mean, they've been rough for, rough for all of us, but I imagine if there's anxiety and OCD going on, that's going to be really hard. It's a difficult time to, to work through. Um, this is my worst fear, having a global pandemic. And so I thought I was going to really struggle. And like there are days where I don't want to leave the house because I'm scared of the, the compulsions that come with OCD. So like I have an intrusive thought while I'm out. This is a dirty service. So I'm going to get ill if I touch it and don't wash my hands within 30 seconds. And so it's that exposure, like CBT, so like training the mind. I will purposefully go out and not expose myself to germs and stuff. I'll just go about my daily life and just try not let it impact on me as much as I can. Mm. Um, but there are days where I go to the shops and someone knocks past me briefly. I'll drop everything off in the shop. I won't pay for it. I won't take it anywhere. I'll just leave it and I'll go home and I'll sanitize and like wash my hands to the extreme. And then have to spend hours of like putting cream on to make sure that I'm not going to get an infection or like damage the skin too much. And then be mindful of what pressure it's putting my body under, my mental health. So I guess it's it's just taking it day by day. And there have been really days where I find it really tough and really exhausting. But I started just writing down my feelings. And then I thought, I'm just going to share this with the world because I'm not able to go and do public events and public engagements. So let's just see what happens. And so I started an online blog where I share a blog every day for a hundred days, just saying how rubbish I feel, how good I feel, what's tested me, what's really like made me feel emotional, want to cry or what's made me feel really joyous. And it's been amazing. Like I've had messages from people that I haven't spoken to in, in months and years. And it's just, it's, I guess it's that when we're going about day to day before the pandemic, it was so easy just to forget everything and just to, have feelings and have these thoughts and just go about I've been in a, in a habit of just letting the compulsions take control and this has really challenged me to to not worry so much I think I've coped better with just doing little things like if I go out I wear my mask even when I'm not we don't have to like outside of the shops I'll just wear it just to protect myself it's like a safety blanket it's those little things I do that then make it easier to manage the mental health and the OCD when I get home. It doesn't yeah. always work, but... Yeah, because like, you're talking about how people might approach you and you, and you hadn't realised that they might be having kind of similar, similar sorts of situations mm. going on. And certainly the past few months has been, has been tough on everybody mentally. So just that kind of link between you sharing your blogs and, and, and people feeling the same way and contacting you. You talk about how you have coped with that and your strategies for doing so is there anything you would kind of advise people if they're feeling similar in a similar way there are so many amazing resources like the hub of hope where you can search up local you put your postcode in and it tells you all the mental health services in your area that you can go to if you're if you're struggling if you're in need of help and support i work with a local mental health charity um called dorset mind who i volunteer with as an ambassador and I go to public events and stuff with them. And we went to a local school at the start of September 
when everything was going back into some normality, not that I don't know if it's going to continue now. Just standing up on the stage and telling kids, if you are struggling, don't feel like you're alone. There have been so many points in my life and lockdown has given me time to reflect upon them. I remember when I was doing my placement, working with young people at university in my second year, a young person, like I said, what advice would you give me? And he was like, just don't forget that we exist. There are so many social workers who just forget about us. And I think that's what I got in the habit of doing, like just because I was so worried about the future and worried about every what could be. And then lockdown happened and really threw that off balance and really changed my understanding of what the future entails because I like to have a plan, I like to have a structure. And when that's gone, I just have to adapt and just do my best. And I think you don't have to get it perfect the first time around. As long as you're, you're safe and the people around you are safe, you can always try again and you can go back to the drawing board and find a new way around it. And there's not just plan A and plan B, there's plan C, D, E. How many letters of the alphabet that you can go through? I was going to um, say, I think we've run out of letters for the amount of plans we've put together for this <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can certainly understand that. And, and Charlie, look, looking ahead, I mean, I know you said that, you know, you you struggle without having that plan and that clear path almost ahead of you but you know you've talked about your role for um dorset mind i mean i think i saw in 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 some uh one of your emails you're also a chair of a board of trustees you're obviously leaning really heavily into the charity sector the social good sector spreading your message and, and telling anyone who wants to listen and i love the fact that you know when you talked about presenting on a stage in front of a group of children is what makes you feel alive because I can connect with that because I've only ever done it a couple of times at like assemblies at schools and things, but it's a, just a completely different audience. And it does make you feel like they, they're not judging me. They just want to hear what I've got to say, which is amazing. But I'll get there to my question. My question was going to be bearing all that in mind. How are you thinking about going forward? How can you take what you've done over the last few months to the next level? How can you, continue to give what you do to certain charities are you are you thinking about that at all yeah when I was going through my degree and stuff I learned this this film Robin Williams was in called Patch Adams and it's based on a real life story of a doctor in America and he said that if you treat a disease you win you lose but if you treat a person I guarantee you win no matter the outcome and that has stayed with me throughout the whole of my degree and it made all the comments of Chandos will fail with or without support worthwhile because it reminded me that your life and my life are completely different but you're an expert in your life and no one can tell you what works for you better than you and so that's really inspired and motivated my plans moving forward so rather than just doing public events and engagements which I'm going to still try and do I'm also going to try and do like life coaching working with people because I felt like when I was doing my degree in social work it was not what I expected And I always say that I'm going to try and bring the social back into social work. So going with people on the journey and working with them on their, what works best for them. There's a thing in social work called the person-centered approach. And so I work with people to, I'm hoping to work with people to show them that they're an expert. They might not have a degree or a doctorate in a specific thing, but that doesn't make them any less intelligent or any less of a, have less of an understanding that anyone else might have. No one, one life is going to be the same as the next person for now or in 10 years time or in 20 years time. And I think that we have such a perception in society that 
if we're not perfect, if we're not a certain image of what we think is good enough, then it's not going to be okay. But it would be so fantastic if we look beyond that and we just keep going. And it's not it's not just schools that you've been talking to, universities as well. Haven't you, haven't you presented to Cambridge University? Well, yeah, because I, I, when I was emailing all these people, I was like, I'm not going to hear back from Cambridge or Oxford. So I just sent them an email anyway, just on the off chance. And then it took a few months, but then one of their lecturers and like academic staff reached out to me and said, we're doing like a patient voice thing. Would you be interested in doing it? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so I, I went up, I think at the end of 2018, start of 2019, and gave a talk to their third year medical students. And then it went better than I thought. I left feeling like it was absolute rubbish. Like <laughs> I felt like I just waffled and uh, no one understood. And there was like, all these faces at the end of the talk just staring at me like what next and I was like I just felt like I didn't leave with anything I didn't feel like I gave them good enough value content and then they emailed afterwards saying the students loved it um would you come back and do another one try the next group of students and so I've been back a few times now and I did an online talk for them the start of September it's really heartwarming for me because it makes me feel like I'm able to help them, but also they're helping me because they're asking me these questions and these things to help me better understand my own condition. Because the thing about my diagnosis is although I'm 23 years into it, I still don't understand it all. There are still days where I beat myself up because of my diagnosis and being able to vent it on a stage or on Zoom to other people really helps. It's amazing. I mean, I said to you at the start of this that I've had a pretty rubbish day, but you know what? You brought me up because from hearing you talking you know you're obviously passionate about it it feels almost like you're calling you know you're meant to do this in terms of getting out there and letting people know and that your philosophy about the whole thing is is just brilliant I love that like everyone's an expert everyone's an expert in, in their own life that's just brilliant so I'd just like to say thank you for, for sharing that Chandy thank you so much if anyone wants to find you or like reach out to you or contact you about anything where where, where can they go probably Instagram so my uh, username is at hashtag chandy but it's the word hashtag i thought i was being really clever with that when i created it or my website is chandy.org.uk and that's where i post my daily blogs and stuff and they can interact with me there brilliant well look we'll be sure to share those when we uh when we post the episode out and being it's been great to chat to you thank you for for reaching out to us and, and thank you for everything that you continue to do i'm sure we need we need more chandies in the world that's for sure thank you for the opportunity i really appreciate it no worries All right, James, we'll catch up soon. Will do. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Spotlight series from the Do More Good podcast. You can find our main episodes at domoregood.uk and we're on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod. If you fancy featuring on Spotlight, then head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight and get in touch. We'll speak to you soon.